0: We read uh, Matthew chapter 2, the story of the birth of Jesus. And we're going to focus on that scripture, Matthew's version of the birth of Jesus, for the next three messages. Um, We will meet next week here, Christmas Eve. We're having it this year on the 24th. Okay. Um, And we're going to do it on Zoom. So. Every year, up to 200,000 people die of a medical condition known as deep vein thrombosis. Have you ever heard of this? Deep vein thrombosis. It uh, happens in your legs where blood uh, just pools and then clots, and then the clot goes to the lungs or to the brain. You have a stroke and you die. Now, the, the tragic thing about DVT is that it's caused by just sitting there. Right? You just die by doing nothing. It, uh, you could call it death through atrophy or apathy, just sitting there. That's an intro to what we read in our passage today. I want to focus on the apathy of Israel when Jesus was born. Especially when you contrast it with the zeal of these wise men who travel probably 800 miles all the way from Persia. They were probably Persian Uh, occultic astrologers who studied the stars. They were into occultic superstitions. They traveled probably via camel, but we don't know how many there were. There could have been two. There could have been 200. They probably were accompanied by uh, an army or at least a bunch of servants. And they could have been wandering for years. But they invested all they had and they based it on this vague, subtle star that according to their tradition, their astrology said a king had been born in Israel. And obviously that meant more than just something for Israel. It meant something for the world. So they said, we're packing up and we're going to go find that king. All right? So they, uh, they say, well, where, where would you go if a king was born in Israel? Let's go to the capital. Let's go to Jerusalem. They show up in Jerusalem and uh, they say, hey, we, we've seen the star. Uh, where is the newborn king of Israel? And Herod, he's a little panicked because he does not like any threats. But he calls together all the scholars and they have a prophecy convention. And they look through all the Old Testament scrolls, and they go, this is a no-brainer. When this King is born, when this Messiah is born, here in the prophet Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it clearly will be in Bethlehem. And then the wise men say, how do you get there? And they go, well, you go south of here and you take a left at Farmer Jacob's barn there and then you go straight and there's a little brook and you turn and then it's, uh, there it is. There it is in Bethlehem. So the Magi set off and Israel goes back to sleep. Right? Maybe they were in the middle of a Netflix series or, you know, it was a busy time of year. It's Christmas, right? <laughs> and, and they had just come off Israel about a 400-year period of hearing from no prophets. The last prophet was Malachi, and it had been 400 years. God seemed silent. So these wise men show up, and it kind of disturbs their slumber, but then when they leave, they go back to sleep. You know, the, the slumber of Israel didn't go away after Jesus was born. And when He was born, of course, he, he preached and He did miracles and lots of crowds gathered, but it didn't have a real lasting impact. After Jesus um, died and rose from the dead, how many people were gathered? How many, were there, how many true followers were there Anybody know? How many people met in the upper room? Hundred and twenty. Hundred and twenty. Now there were eight million Jews on the planet, so I did the math, and um, that's point zero 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 one five of one percent of the population of Jews who ended up gathering. After Jesus came. Now, uh, the apostles went out and preached in Jerusalem and 3,000 got saved and then later 5,000 got saved. But still, that zero 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 six of 1% of the population of Jews on the planet. So that would be um, 6 ten thousandths of 1%. Of Jews, Jesus came to the Jews. He was born a Jew. He was the fulfillment of all of this, uh, all this prophecy. And 0.000000, 000, 000 of one percent ended up following him. They were asleep. Okay. Now, let's talk about spiritual slumber. Um, you know, COVID has been devastating to many churches. A lot of churches have just died. I heard one estimate that church attendance has been cut in half. Okay, and by the way, this is not this is not a statement on people's decision, uh, uh, their their own personal decision on how to react to COVID. Some people need to stay away. Okay, I'm not not this is not a COVID slam on anybody. Okay, but I am afraid that the greater damage is. To the church is just kind of a a state of, of spiritual malaise, as Jimmy Carter would say, right? Or or disinterest, or apathy. H- have you noticed that a lot of Christians have just fallen into <sighs> boredom? Right. And today, I want to call us not to fall for it. I want to call us to wake up if if it's affecting you and not give in to the spiritual slumber that seems to have captured so many people. In Romans 12.11, Paul says this. He says, do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit and you know what's interesting about this verse it assumes that we have some degree of responsibility in maintaining our spiritual zeal all right you are accountable to not be spiritually sleepy you are accountable to wake up spiritually. And, and this kind of goes against the grain of our culture today, which basically says, I'm a victim to, to my emotions. I'm a victim to how I am. That's just how I am. I can't, you can't hold me accountable for how I am. And here Paul says, you know what? If you're falling asleep spiritually, don't! Wake up! Be fervent in spirit. You know, the book of Hebrews, this is interesting, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who initially endured persecution for their faith. Some were thrown in prison. They were being persecuted. And they survived that. And now the author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, by the way. It could have been Paul. Some think it was Barnabas, Something it was, I don't know, we don't know who it is. But the author is, is writing to them because he has heard that many were just kind of drifting away. Drifting away from church, drifting away from Christ. Right? So he grabs his parchment and he writes a very thoughtful letter to those who were drifting now, look at what he says in, in two one, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we 've heard, lest we drift away from it. I, I think of when we go to Florida on the beach, especially on on calm days there's kids playing in the sand, and then there are those swimming, and then there are those who um, get on rafts and they're just kind of sunbathing and you can fall asleep and drift away. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, you're drifting away. You're not attending church anymore. You're losing your passion for Christ. And then, two, three. How shall we escape if we neglect Such a great salvation. Eh, They're not necessarily denying their belief in Christ. They're just neglecting passionate pursuit of Christ. Hebrews 5.11, he says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Now, that's interesting. That's the ESV. Um, dull of hearing. Now, when you read that, you go, well, that's, that's not their fault. Like, I'm getting old. I can't hear anymore, right? comes in handy occasionally. Right? <laughs> but the phrase dull of hearing... That translation assumes like I'm not responsible. But look at the, the, the Greek behind it, I think, implies more responsibility. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. It's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Okay, It's not just that I passively am losing my... You're becoming lazy and you're responsible for that is what he's saying. NIV, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. There's a lack of effort on their part, okay? So, um, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's saying you should be teaching, but you're back in in, uh, third grade, okay? So, I don't think he's trying to insult them. I think he's trying to warn them about the danger that they are in. Now, here's, here's what I want to do I want to give you four words. If you feel yourself drifting and you're neglecting your pursuit of the Lord, okay? The, the words are realize, rouse, repent and resolve. Okay? Realize. Realize, number one, the eternal danger you are in. Realize the eternal danger of spiritual apathy. I think people ought to be far more terrified of spiritual apathy than COVID or cancer or leprosy. Those things are just temporary. Spiritual apathy is eternal. You know, I recently talked with somebody, nobody in the church, okay. But this person, last I knew they were on fire. Couldn't get enough of the Lord and worship in the Word. And they said, I'm just, I know, I'm just I'm losing my faith. Just don't really know what to do about it, and and you would think, you know, being the kind shepherdly person that I am, um, I would go, well, that's okay. Everybody goes through periods like that, but I, 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 I can't do that, right? And what I said was, read Hebrews, because Hebrews gives some terrifying warnings to these people. So here in Hebrews 6, it says, for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Now, scholars debate, is this talking about a saved person or a non-saved person? Okay. Now, my, my take on it, now, bottom line is, is um, let's not get sidetracked from the warning because we, we can throw ourselves into the discussion, can you or can't you lose your salvation? And the issue here is, Whoever this person is, they're in danger of going to hell. Okay, But it's impossible in the case who, uh, of those who have once been enlightened, so I think that means they've at least understood the gospel. Who have tasted the heavenly gift, they've, they've tasted heaven, They've shared in the Holy Spirit. Does that mean they've been regenerated or they've just kind of been in the environment where the Holy Spirit is active in a church? okay, And have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. They've heard the Word of God preached. In the powers of the age to come, they've seen miracles. Maybe people have prayed for them and they've had prayer requests answered. Okay, It's impossible in the case of these people who've experienced all this and then have fallen away. They've drifted away. They've neglected. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. There's a point of no return where you drift off into the sharks. Since they're, listen to this, they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Contempt. What do you mean what do you mean they're crucifying him again? Well, if if a person says, "Yeah, you know, I grew up on that stuff and I yeah, I believed in Jesus. And I even got baptized, but yeah, I'm just kind of too busy for it all now." You're too busy to radically reorient your life around Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I'm just too busy. There's other things going. I'm just, uh, I, I'm just not that interested. You know, in essence, what you're doing is you're saying he got what he deserved. I, I don't. I, I'm not going to change my life for him. Yeah, he deserved to be crucified. You're crucifying him again. What, what else does it mean? If, if. <laughs> You know, to think about it, I was a sinner going to hell and Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and I just don't have time for him. You're crucifying him again is what the the author is saying. You know, in in, uh, the next part of the chapter, he he equates this person to land. So the, the metaphor here is it's land. But if it land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. He's threatening hellfire or damnation. Chapter 10 If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and what do you mean go on sinning deliberately? Ignoring Jesus? Ignoring worship? Just drifting away. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. You've turned your back on the only sacrifice. So what? What do? What do we look forward to? Nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Yeah, um, he's pulling out. He's he's pulling out the stops here. He's. Uh, He is saying, realize the eternal danger you are in. Here's another passage. So Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount and He does most of His miracles in the northern region of of the Sea of Galilee in uh, uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. And they showed interest But then everybody kind of went back to to sleep. They didn't follow him. So this is what he says. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They showed up for the show, but they didn't repent. Repent. Woe to you, Kors, and Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were pagan cities that were judged by God. Right? But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And what's interesting is they weren't like wicked people. They were just farming fishermen, blue-collar workers who went to synagogue and paid their tithes and they were religious, but they just were asleep. That's Corazon today. You've been there. And you know what you notice about it? There's no people. The only people are tourists and cats. When Jesus curses, he curses well. Then he he says Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is where he he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Probably lived in Peter's house in Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. You'll be brought to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained till this day, but I tell you that it will, will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Because they showed up. They said, Spectacular. The way you cast that demon out. Oh, and then the, the you heal you you raised the little girl from the dead in Capernaum. That was a good one. And that big catch of fish in Peter's boat, that <laughs> was awesome. And then the whole walking across the water, that was awesome. Thank you very much. <sighs> he curses them for their apathy. So, the first, the first R word, realize. If you're falling asleep spiritually, realize the danger you are in. All right, Number two, rouse yourself. Wake up! This is to the, the church of Sardis. Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches in, in uh, uh, Turkey. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Whoa. They have a reputation for being the church. But he goes, I know you're, you're dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Well, I thought you weren't saved by. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by works. But if you're saved, there's going to be works, there's going to be evidence of your salvation. He says, as I look look at the evidence, I don't see it. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Not for you, but against you. Wow. Now, here's an interesting question. How can people who are asleep be told to wake up? Or, or here, here's another one. In, in Ephesians, it says you were dead. So, uh, do you know that Non-believers, you in this room right now, there are believers and non-believers. The non-believers are dead. Spiritually, they're not sensitive to what's being said. There are those who are awake and those who are asleep. How can you tell a person who's asleep to wake up? Well, and this, this happened to me this year. Have you ever had a dream and something happens in your dream that wakes you up, Okay, I think God is able to speak to the asleep and to the dead in their state of deadness and in their state of sleep. So here was my dream. Did any of you do the high jump in high school? Anybody, you know, where you run and you jump over that bar? Okay. Did you do the high jump? Yeah. And was the bar all crinkled from being landed on so many times? You ever say, <laughs> <see? laughs> I jumped nine feet. Well, the ends were at nine feet. The bottom was like at three feet, right? right. So um, I did, I, we, in gym class, we had to do it. For, but some reason, I'm having a dream that I'm going to do the high jump at Batavia High School. My little bulldog shorts. Now, there's the, uh, there's, there's, different, there's the run and go-head first approach, right? Then there's the Fosbury flop. Did you do the Fosbury? Yeah. You know what that is? So that's, that's like if the bar is here, all right? You run and you throw yourself backwards over. Is that how you would do it? Yeah. And then there's the, I, I, I don't know, I'll call it the rollover where you... Throw your leg like you you run and you throw your leg over. It's the rollover. So in my dream I did the rollover Including the blankets <laughs> And the wife I think I might have kicked her, right? So I threw my leg and in my mind I am jumping over that high, high bar And I fell out of bed and banged my head on the oak nightstand. But I think I won the the competition. (laughs) And I'm on the ground holding my head going, what just happened? I think God in our state of spiritual deadness and in our state of spiritual sleep can still get through to us and, and what he says is wake up you know Lazarus was dead and the power of Jesus word Jesus said Lazarus come forth now if you said no, Jesus he's dead well it was his word that woke the dead alright so I'm just kind of trusting in the miracle of God that if anybody... And, and by the way, this, this might be a good message to pass on to others. Okay, But if you're out there spiritually asleep or spiritually dead, wake up! Right? On the authority of God's Word, wake up! You're headed for the falls. Sharp rocks below. Right. Now, um, next... Part of the wake-up is a call to repent. Right in in uh, the letter to the church of Sardis, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. To the church of Laodicea, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Okay, now. Uh, Point three is repent. point four is resolve to change. okay? Now these two go hand in hand because um, repentance without resolve is just emotionalism. Resolve without repentance, is what we call a New Year's Eve resolution. Where you resolve to do something and then the next day you break it. Okay? Repentance and resolve have to go together. Here's a, here's a prayer of repentance if, if if God is speaking to you. Lord, I've been cold and spiritually lazy. I'm sorry, you deserve my best, not my leftovers. Please forgive me. Create in me a new heart. Fill me with passion and zeal and love for you. Okay, so there's a prayer of repentance. And then finally, resolve. You you can't just repent and do nothing. You go, what What do you want me to do? Now, I have to be really careful here because this is a dangerous place in the sermon, a dangerous place for a pastor because I could just dump a whole bunch of stuff on you right now. Give you a whole list of 20 things you need to do if you want to really follow Jesus. And then you'd walk out just buried. Right? I think there's one main thing I want to call us to do, to resolve to do, that could solve an awful lot, and that is honor God with our calendar. Okay, Devote our calendar and our schedule to God. Because behind virtually all spiritual drift, is a lack of devoting our time to God. Really what it is, it's a lack of gathering. It's a lack of, of saying, I will make gathering with God's people the number one priority. If we did that, I think it would take care of a lot of things. Okay, Because when you gather you get in the flow of hearing God's Word preached. And you get in the flow of praying and serving and being served and loving and being loved and repenting and resolving and seeing examples and being examples. Um, so if, if there's one key component here, I would say it's the component of of truly giving your schedule to God. Um, I've I've mentioned this before, but God gave Israel a calendar with 71 holidays, holy days, and Sabbaths. 71, so that's 20% of their year. They were to drop what they were doing, put everything on hold, and devote themselves as individuals as families as a community to celebrating God right and then remember this three times a year they were to travel to Jerusalem from wherever they were to celebrate right and the, the tribe of Dan said, "No, nah, forget that. That's too much effort." So they created their own worship center. It involved an idol and so, and so forth. But so there's not only the 71 days, but you've got to put travel time on top of that. Okay, We're going to talk about a new location after the service. So remember this point. Yeah. For some people, it's a better location for you. For others, you've been traveling for a long time. Long distance. So, so just before you make your decision on what you're going to do, um, realize sacrificing time is, is part of what God expects of us. Okay? Now, um, God embedded... Holy days, holidays, sabbaths in their calendar because he knows that we need it. We drift when he's not the center of our schedule. All right. The the key here is: is he worth it? They built their lives around these festivals and Sabbaths and holy days. And the faithful that kept them on track. Now, you go, Pastor. Are we going back to holy days of obligation? When I say holy day of obligation, do any of you know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Right. Back in the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. So let me let me educate you, some of you, on the holy day of obligation. Um, this is right This is right out of the Wikipedia... No, I, I, it was some, was some kind of a Catholic site online. Holy Day of Obligation in the Roman Catholic Church are religious feast days on which Catholics must attend Mass and refrain from unnecessary work. Did you know you had to refrain from unnecessary work? Yeah. Um, all Sundays are Holy Days of obliga- Obligation, but the term Holy Day also refers to other feasts and must be observed... In the same matter as Sunday, the number of such days has varied greatly since bishops had the right to institute new feasts for their dioceses until the 17th century. Pope Urban VIII uh, limited the number of holy days throughout the church to 36. Okay, um, In 1918... Considering the difficulty of observing religious feasts that are not civil holidays, canon law designated ten holy days. Christmas, the circumcision of Christ, Epiphany, anybody know what Epiphany means? It's when the wise men showed up, right? Ascension, um, Corpus Christi, recognizing the body of Jesus in communion. Assumption, do you know what Assumption is? That's when Mary was assumed into heaven. You go, what verse is that? Don't worry about verses, okay? Um, The Solemnity of St. Peter and Paul, All Saints' Day, and the Immaculate Conception. What was that? What was the Immaculate Conception? No, it's not Jesus being born. No. It's when Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin. Somebody want to look that up? Okay. Now, listen to this. With papal permission, the number has been reduced or changes made in some countries... Thus Epiphany, Corpus Christi, the Solemnity of Peter and Paul, and St. Joseph's Day are not kept in the United States, and bishops in the United States and other countries have permission to abrogate, temporarily, um, temporarily waive the requirement to attend Mass on certain Holy Days of Obligation when they fall on Saturday or Monday. So I remember that. Where you go, well, it's a Holy Day of Obligation. But it's on a it's on a Monday. Does Sunday cover me? Which, like Protestants go, cover you? What, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, you got, does it count? And, and we, can look, we can look at the whole thing as, like, crazy, right? Because you're saved by grace, not by Holy Days of, uh, of Obligation and so forth, okay? So, no, we're not going to Holy Days of Obligation. All right, but sometimes I think we can go so far in the other direction. We're saved by grace. There's no obligations, and when it's convenient, we show up. If it's not convenient, eh, no big deal. All right? Here's here's what I, here's what I think the key is. If you if you're drifting spiritually. Make Sunday worship and weekly Bible study your top priorities. Make them sacred. To get into heaven? No. To stay on track. And then I think you'll see a whole bunch of other spiritual priorities fall into line. What if it turns into legalism? It will for some. Oh well. Some people will do it out of legalism. But we don't go, well because it might lead to legalism we just don't do do it at all. Okay? You do the discipline with the ultimate desire of being able to genuinely say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wise men who heard that the king of Israel had been born and they packed it up and they followed, no matter the cost. Lord, I pray for our country and I pray for the world there seems to be a sleepiness, a spiritual apathy, whether it's caused by COVID or accelerated by COVID. I don't know, Lord. But I pray you would ignite in all of us a passion. And Lord, we bring before you our calendars. We bring before you our schedules and offer them to you, especially as we're coming up on a new year. In Jesus' name. Amen.